Hello and welcome to the Denton's Privacy Pod. This is the first episode in the podcast series from Denton's Leading Privacy and Cybersecurity Group, giving you bite-sized insights into what you need to know about the latest issues, risks and trends in data protection and cybersecurity around the globe. My name is Simon Elliott, a partner in the Privacy and Cyber Group based in London. In today's first episode, we'll be reviewing last week's momentous decision from the Court of Justice of the European Union in the SREMS 2 decision relating to international transfers of data. In looking at that, we'll be aiming to answer two simple questions. What did the decision say? And what should businesses be doing now? To help me to answer these questions, I'm joined today by three of my fellow partners. Antonius Patrikios, a fellow partner in London in the Privacy and Cybersecurity Group here. Mark Elsoff, a partner based in our Amsterdam office and co-head of the Europe Data Privacy and Security team. And Todd Tabair, partner based in our Washington DC office and national lead for our data privacy team in the US. So Antonis, if you don't mind, I'll start with you. Can you perhaps tell us how did we get here? What's the background to, to this case? Happy to do this. So it all started in 2013 with a complaint by an individual before the Irish Data Protection Commissioner. Mr. Mark Schrems uh, alleged that a US company that was transferring his data back to the United States on the base of the EU-US safe harbor, uh, that this transfer was invalid given the access that US public authorities had to his data in the United States. Uh, The matter was referred to the Court of Justice on a point of law and the Court of Justice invalidated the EU-US safe harbor and returned the case back to the Irish courts and the Irish Data Protection Commissioner. At that time, uh, that US company was relying actually on the standard contractual clauses. So Mr. Schrems was uh, asked to uh, adapt his complaint. And guess what Mr. Schrems did? He then suggested that the transfer of his data under the standard contractual clauses were unlawful for exactly the same reason, because uh, public authorities in the US would have access to it. And the same process took place again. The commissioner referred the matter to the Irish courts. From the Irish courts, there was a referral on a point of law to the Court of Justice of the European Union, which found that the standard contractual clauses uh, remain valid, but placed some conditions on their use. Thanks, Antonis. And obviously, we had the decision handed down last week, last last Thursday. So what were the, 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 the kind of key takeaways from the decision itself? Well, first and foremost, the the court found that the privacy shield is invalid. So for the second time in five years, the special arrangement between the EU and the US for transfers of data has been found to be invalid by the highest court in the EU. This basically means that organizations who relied on the privacy shield until last week will now need to move away from the shield and into an alternative data export solution, such as the standard contractual clauses. As far as the standard contractual clauses are concerned, the court found that they are valid in principle. However, they are subject to certain conditions, such as additional assessments and additional safeguards. These conditions are not new. They are already reflected in the standard contractual clauses themselves, but they now have been emphasized by the Court of Justice of the European Union in such a way that in practice, relying on the model clauses for data exports suddenly went from being a largely paper-based exercise to being an operationally significant and legally complex assessment of how the clauses are actually complied with in practice and were required remediation of any issues 
by way of appropriate safeguards. Simon, I think, will say a few things uh, about the process later, so I won't say more now. And the purpose of this assessment and potentially implementing additional safeguards is to ensure that the protection afforded to individuals is essentially equivalent to that under the GDPR. And the obligations that are placed by the judgments are as follows. The exporters are primarily responsible for carrying out these assessments and implementing any additional safeguards, working together with the importer where appropriate. If they cannot do so effectively, they should not commence a transfer or suspend an existing transfer. If they continue, they must inform the previous regulator. As far as the obligations on importers are concerned, they have a similar obligation to assess whether they can comply in practice with their obligations under the standard contractual clauses. They also have an obligation to inform the exporters of any provisions in the local law that prevent them from complying with their obligations under the standard contractual clauses. And last but not least, privacy regulators are required, there is no discretion here, they are required to suspend or prohibit a transfer of data to a third country where they take the view that the standard contractual clauses are not or cannot be complied with in the country of destination. So in short, Simon, this is a massive change. And although last week the emphasis of most commentators was on the invalidation of the privacy shield, actually it seems to me that the big change here is the one that relates to the standard contractual clauses. Great, thanks Antonis. This is absolutely very momentous decision on both fronts. Let's have a look first of all though at the, the impact on the privacy shield and Todd, obviously very relevant from a US perspective. US operated uh, uh, framework. So what's your kind of take on this from a US perspective? And I guess in particular, what should US organizations that were signed up to Privacy Shield be thinking about at the minute? Yeah, so um, the, the Privacy Shield was a, a very important tool to bridge the gap between two legal regimes that approach privacy from just a, a radically different perspective. Of course, in Europe, it's viewed as a fundamental human right whereas in uh, the United States, it grows out of Fourth Amendment protections and it more largely reflects a reasonable expectations with um, legal protections around certain abuses. Um, so given the, the fact that we approach the issue from such a different perspective, the Privacy Shield really provided a, a tool for us to allow transfers to happen when it's not likely that our legal regimes are going to be in alignment at any time, certainly in the future. So now that the, the Privacy Shield has been struck down, um, it, it, it's not likely that that's going to cause Congress to completely revamp what we do in the US. Um, it's, it's not even likely that we're going to have a, a federal law that preempts all the different state laws on this. So we've already heard some indication that the governments are going to be uh, negotiating again. And so it's always possible that there could be a different replacement for a privacy shield, privacy shield part three. Um, uh, whether that happens or not remains to be seen. I don't think from a company perspective, an organization perspective, we should be putting all of our eggs in that basket. So we need to, in the meantime, really look at what we can do to continue transferring information. Um, from the U.S. perspective, the U.S. perspective, they said that... Um, Privacy Shield continues and that they're going to be speaking with the Europeans, but that 
entities who have certified to the privacy shield need to continue to comply with those obligations. So that brings up an immediate choice that needs to be made. If you're participating in privacy shield and Europe doesn't recognize it, but the, but the US is going to continue to enforce it, and it has been enforcing it. The irony is the US has actually been enforcing the privacy shield. Should you consider giving it up so that you are not subject to additional requirements when it's not giving you the benefits to which you signed up? I would say hold off for the moment. It's too soon. We need to see how things start settling out. But you definitely should decide whether you want to enter into standard contractual clauses. We'll get into that a little bit more. But that may be a way to mitigate some risk while everybody is sorting out the impact of the um, privacy shield um, going away. Um, and it might be a good idea for US companies to sort of take the lead in doing this, because if they don't, it's certain that the EU exporters of data are going to be leading the, the effort to repaper the legal rights for transfers. So that, that's really the initial reaction. Uh, thanks, Todd. That's really interesting. I think you're right there. It's interesting that the US government have said they're going to continue to operate this, but we have a pretty clear statement from, from the European court. So tomorrow, you know, looking at it from a European perspective, you've heard what Todd says about, you know, organ US organizations sort of taking their time to look at what's going to happen here. What about those exporters that are located in Europe and, and looking at that judgment? What, what do you think they should be thinking about at this stage with, from a privacy shield perspective? Uh, thanks, uh, Simon. Well, I, I think what this decision means primarily is another spell of uncertainty for EU companies, um, unclarity as to their uh, transfer mechanisms. Um, initially, I think we expect that there will be some form of grace period where data protection regulators will not yet enforce. Um, however, we are seeing some regulators coming out in force, uh, notably the Berlin Data Protection Authority, who has asked controllers to stop transferring data to the US. Uh, that seems to be an outlier at the moment. Others are merely repeating what the European Court has said about the need for proper due diligence when using uh, the model clauses. And of course, they're repeating that the privacy shield uh, has been canceled. Um, others are uh, expressing their concerns with the model clauses and, and, and with data transfers, but uh, they are not going so far as to block uh, data transfers to a certain jurisdiction. Uh, the European Data Protection Board, I think we're all looking to that for clear guidance uh, at a European level, at a harmonized level. They have limited their comments to a short recap of the decision, and we're very interesting to see what uh, the EDPB's further guidance will be. And I think for now, uh, EU organizations should stay, take stock of the transfer mechanisms they're using by verifying contracts with vendors, with customers, with affiliates, um, and where privacy shield is used, well, think about what Todd just said. Um, are you going to move away now, or are you uh, leaving it in place for now? But at least you should think about uh, putting in place um, uh, alternative mechanisms, perhaps in addition to your privacy shield certification. Great, thanks. So on the privacy shield, we're hearing 
Um, Norfolk need to keep an eye on this at the minute, clearly not putting all the eggs in one basket here. There may be some developments, but certainly looking at the other alternatives is an important step at the minute. And, and turning to that kind of key uh, alternative that companies have relied on um, a lot previously, the standard contractual clauses. Antonis, as you mentioned in the outset, perhaps the more significant impact of the decision was the impact on, on these model clauses. Perhaps you can just tell us a little bit more about what the judgments uh, said about that. Uh, sure, Simon. So the judgment confirms that the standard contractual clauses remain valid uh, because of the existing safety valves within the model clauses themselves. For example, number one, the oblig obligation on the exporter to assess whether the data export operation complies with the GDPR. Secondly, the obligation on the data importer to inform the data exporter of any inability to comply with the obligations under the standard contractual clauses. And thirdly, the fact that data protection authorities, EU data protection authorities, uh, are required to suspend any transfers uh, if the exporter doesn't do so and there are no supplementary measures to ensure adequate protection. So the interesting thing is that the law around the standard contractual clauses hasn't actually changed at all. It was always the case that um, uh, they should only be used where there were adequate safeguards of protection. And to be a bit more specific, what exporters are now required to do, working with the data importer where appropriate, is two things. One, carry out a thorough and documented assessment of the data processing operation, the recipient data importer, and crucially, the local law that applies to the data importer, including specifically the law governing public authority access to data, an area that's notoriously complex and could be challenging. These assessments, therefore, could be challenging even for sophisticated and well-resourced organizations. And the second thing that exporters need to do is if the assessment concludes that there are insufficient safeguards in place, the exporter is responsible for ensuring that additional safeguards are implemented. It is too uh, soon after the judgment, so we're not entirely clear what these, may, these additional safeguards may include. Uh, but if we look at the judgment itself, the GDPR and drawing from previous experience, we can expect that these supplementary measures are likely to include a combination of technical and organizational uh, safeguards. Thanks, Antonis. And Mark, just turning to you, clearly, as, as Antonis said, it is early stages. We're waiting for further guidance here. And these are clearly you know, challenging assessments and additional safeguards that will be necessary. What, what are we starting to see or what, what, what are we thinking that we may start to see happen in practice for organizations to start to, to do to, to start to address some of these concerns? Yes, I mean, that's right. I mean, it's, it's, it's indeed very much early days. Um, but I think um, I think first of all, a proper due diligence is required. So the EU companies will have to actively ask the data importer how they expect to be able to meet the obligations from the model clauses. Um, the flip side of that is that larger vendors may come with their own new set of terms uh, where they move away from privacy shield to model clauses. Um, and where they possibly also provide standard documentation on why and how they believe they comply with the model clauses. Um, but looking at it from the EU company's perspective, I would say uh, they should take um, a holistic 
approach and consider a combination of various measures and that could include um, uh, ensuring proper accountability which is in any event a key pillar of the GDPR so put in place uh, an international data transfer policy where you explain what you do and how you do it and why you do it um, surveillance law assessments Antonio's already referenced uh, those um, um, and this will help also from an accountability perspective because if you're challenged for your users and model clauses you can at least show that you've done the assessment um, and it doesn't necessarily provide a complete defense but it does show that you've taken it seriously and you've done a very thorough risk analysis. Um, apart from that, uh, I can see technical measures being put in place, data minimization, encryption, pseudonymization, um, additional contract terms uh, and transparency obligations for data importers. And I think all in all, we may be seeing a new phenomenon uh, arising here, and that's uh, data export impact assessments, where companies analyze the privacy impact of their international data transfers. And this would also tie in with the general requirement of GDPR compliant data transfers in Article 44 of GDPR, um, and the data exporters obligation to ensure that the data importer provides appropriate safeguards as is set out in Article 46 to GDPR. That's really helpful, Mark. Thanks for that really clear kind of insight to some of the things we'll see developing. Now, Todd, one of the, clearly one of the challenges that's come out of this judgment is around the surveillance loss uh, framework that we have in the US. And one of the, the difficult questions is, that has been risen at, uh, from, from the judgment is the extent to which even with these additional protections, that Mark's outline, does it mean that transfers under standard contractual clauses to the US are still going to be prohibited? You know, what's your view on that? And is it as simple as that? Yeah, well, thank you very much, Simon. Um, I think that the US comes to mind because it was the focus of this particular lawsuit, but the, the decision about the standard contractual clauses, where as Antonis and Mark had both uh, mentioned, did not change the law around the clauses, but but what it has pointed out is rather than potentially just relying on them, signing them as is and not considering the structure of the contract with which they're associated, we need to take a more specific view of what are the risks and requirements in the sort of target country and how will the parties interact with those requirements to address the need for protections imposed by the uh, GDPR. So it's not a U.S. issue alone, and part of the problem have, uh, will need to be solved by the governments because it's not really within the ability for any individual company to solve on their own. But the lesson we can take is that we need to look at the specific country, take the U.S., look at the surveillance laws, look at what they require, and look at the mechanisms they set up so that the parties can decide the specific requirements around those mechanisms. And, and while it's not really the time to get into specific details about the laws, you know, it's interesting because if you take FISA, for example, FISA actually gives additional rights to parties to protect them against surveillance in the US. So one can argue that the US is under no constraint 
to engage in surveillance outside of the U.S., but FISA provides additional protections if they engage in surveillance within the U.S. So I think it's important to take the that type of perspective, a more sophisticated perspective, and use that fact and address how you will deal with a FISA request if you get one. Um, but we do know that no matter what happens, data transfers to the U.S. and the rest of the world are very likely to continue. It's more of a question of how and how companies can take pragmatic steps to mitigate the risks that actually exist. And I, I don't think it's a time to, to think that everything is going to come crashing down or that um, we need to take a, a radical overhaul of the approach within the next few days. I think it's really a time to assess the risks, assess your approach, and identify opportunities to address these risks in the coming days and weeks. Yeah, uh, that's really interesting, uh, Todd. You know, I think you're right. Specific uh, applying to the specific facts and uh, thinking about some of those mechanisms around, uh, as Mark was talking about, transparency, disclosures, uh, cooperation between the parties to address some of these risks. Does seem uh, sort of sensible uh, uh, considerations. Um, and so, clearly, you know, there are some other solutions that are available under GDPR for international transfers. Maybe just briefly, was, was there anything else that we can take away from the decision um, uh, in relation to those other types of uh, to those other solutions? Yeah, um, just very briefly, Simon. So, first of all, so we, we don't have that many options left after the privacy shield and the standard contractual clauses. So, what, one method is the adequacy. Uh, decisions of the European Commission, which, as we know, are being kept under review. Interesting side note there. Well, if the Commission applies the logic of the Schrems judgment in one of its next uh, adequacy decisions, what conclusion will it reach? But we'll have to wait and see. For now, all the adequacy decisions remain valid. Then you have BCRs, binding corporate rules, which are not explicitly mentioned in the judgment at all. In my opinion, they remain the least challenged uh, EU data export solution. However, if you look at the logic of the judgment, this idea around the assessments and the additional safeguards, uh, maybe uh, uh, there's a requirement to look at enhancing the relevant provisions uh, of BCR somewhere in there. Um, and then there's the derogations, the so-called derogations, which can be helpful for one-off or a small number of transfers, but cannot be used for massive uh, uh, data transfers. I think one of the positive things that the judgment will do is I think over the next few months and a year we're probably going to go more developments uh, with the notion of ad hoc contract clauses that a data controller, data exporter can put in place if they get approval from a data protection authority and also the development of codes of conduct and other solutions that we don't currently have. So that's a possible uh, uh, positive dimension. The final point I want to mention um, uh, around this, Simon, is it would be very interesting to see how exactly all this will play out in the context of Brexit, our beloved topic. So in a few months' time, seven months' time, um, any exports from the UK uh, to, to, to elsewhere in the world or any EU data imports into the UK will need to be covered by a data export mechanism. So it would be interesting to see what solutions the UK government is going to follow. 
thanks and join us. And of course, we, we, we can't possibly get away from Brexit discussions on a podcast at the minute. So that's really helpful. Um, so just to wrap up, I'm just going to ask each of you, maybe in just a couple of sentences, I think, to, to give your own personal perspective on one key takeaway that you would take from this judgment. So maybe Antonis, we'll, we'll start with you and then Mark and then Todd. So Antonis, do you want to kick us off? Yes, thank you, Simon. So I, th- I think for me, the, the key takeaway is keep calm and carry on, right? The, the world didn't end last week. No one is going to switch off the internet. And to some extent, we've, we've been here before, right? In 2015, uh, many organizations went ver- a very si- through a very similar exercise with the invalidation of Safe Harbor. So I think as far as the invalidation of the shield is concerned, the economy knows what the exercise is now. Um, I think the the real development here, the, the game changer here, is the emphasis that the court has now placed on the uh, requirement not just to have a paper in place for data exports, but to ensure operational compliance. And um, it is it is a bit of, this is new, right? So it's not something we've done before, but um, right now. Um, some of the world's most brilliant data protection lawyers are thinking through this, and some of the world's most brilliant in-house previous professionals are thinking about this. So I'm sure we'll find a way forward. Mark? Um, well, I, I'd say for me, um, the key takeaway, also following on to what Antonio said around don't panic, is um, don't panic, but start preparing. Um, do your inventory of where your data is going, um, see what mechanisms you're using for your data transfers um, and look at it holistically um, at how and where you store your data, what privacy enhancing measures can you take uh, and do your uh, data export impact assessment. Great, I'm told. Yes, and I think that uh, following on, I think the most important um, point here is that it's time to plan because it's no longer the case that one size fits all. And I think that if you take the time to plan now and to think through your strategy for ensuring that you've mitigated your individual particular risks under your situation, you're far more likely to come out with a satisfactory outcome and less likely to face back-end risk of enforcement uh, months or years later. Thanks very much. And my thanks very much to Antonis, Mark and Todd for all of your really helpful insights into this really momentous decision. Clearly, there'll be lots of developments we can expect on this from, from regulators uh, in the coming days and weeks. Uh, you can keep up, to, keep up to date with all the latest developments by visiting the Denton's Privacy and Cybersecurity blog, uh, by looking out for our client updates, or of course, by getting in touch with any of us, the other members of our privacy and cybersecurity team, or your regular contacts at Denton's. Also look out for the next episode of the Denton's Privacy Pod in a couple of weeks. And if there are any topics that you'd like us to address in the next of our series, please do get in touch. Many thanks for listening.